So, every family has got business. You guys remember, some of you guys aren't amening. Do you remember the holidays? Yes. We just had them just recently. So as a church, we're going through, we're kicking off today a series called Family Business. We're taking a look at, uh, number one, what it means that the church is a family. Number two, how we minister to uh, different generations like kids, teens, and uh, seasoned uh, members of our family. And so uh, this is not primarily, I want to be clear, it's not primarily about parenting or marriage, although, of course, there are applications to that. And so regardless of what your current family unit looks like, uh, there is something for you in this series. Now, every family talks differently, and some families talk funny. Some families are weird, and the Christian family is no different. In fact, uh, Christians talk funny uh, an awful lot. They say things. There's this thing that Christians do. Been doing it for a long time. So for those of you that aren't Christians, I'm glad you're here because today you're gonna, I'm gonna help explain some things. And then uh, for those of you that are Christians, I'd like to encourage you uh, just real quick on this one question. Uh, what do you view uh, the church? Uh, how do you view the church? What do you view the church as? To put it another way, what are your expectations of the church and your role in it? But for those of you that aren't Christians, uh, you know this already, that Christians, they talk funny. They say things like this. They, they call each other by names like, Hello, brother so-and-so. Hello, sister so-and-so. And there are many of us who are like, this is a cult. This is what people in cults do. And you're right, people in cults do talk like that sometimes, but I wanna be clear, there's a reason why Christians do that. Now generally here at Desert Springs, we're not exceptionally liturgical, and generally speaking, and uh, we don't refer to each other in that way generally, although if you do, you're, you're, there's no problem there. Uh, the reason that that language exists within the church, that brother or sister so-and-so, is because there, there's this biblical teaching that one of the main ways that Christians view the church or understand the church is uh, not a religious organization. It, it, it's not a dispenser of spiritual goods and services. It's not uh, a, a traditional club. The church, rather, uh, is referred to in the scriptures as a family, hence the brother and sister language. You guys with me so far? So that's just a little bit of why Christians will say things like brother or sister, and in the Catholic tradition, they'll refer to priests generally as father as well. And so what is the church, for those of you that are Christians, what is the church to you? What do you expect from the church? How do you engage with the church? Is the church for you simply a dispenser of religious goods and services? Namely, you are a consumer and you uh, participate in church functions or activities primarily as a consumer to receive religious goods and services, perhaps a good feeling, perhaps some spiritual insight. Perhaps you are here so that... Uh, that the church can fix your problems or fix your spouse or fix your kids. Or maybe there's something broken in your life and you're like, I just, I need the church to fix this so that I can go back to the way things were, so I can go back to uh, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous or whatever. And so if you're there, I don't mean to trample on that idea, but that's nowhere in the Bible. Rather, the church is referred to as uh, three primary metaphors, the body, namely a, an interwoven whole, to the bride of Christ as it relates to uh, the church's relationship to Jesus. It's, a, it's that of a husband and a bride. And then finally, a family. This is helpful to us, I think, as we think about our engagement with uh, the church. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. If you'd like a Bible, there are some available on the tables in the back. You can certainly use your digital device. 
uh, to look it up. And we're using the Christian Standard Bible version today. There's uh, uh, Bibles available on the tables in the back. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and we're going to address this question of how is it that we ought to view the church? How is it that we ought to, uh, what we should expect from the church, how we engage with the church? And there's three things I'd like for us to consider today. Number one, that the church is family. Number two, that the church is family founded on Christ. And number three, the church is family founded on Christ for the flourishing of humanity and the glory of God. This is Ephesians 2, verse 13 uh, and through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself, here we go, create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in, what's the word? Peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and what's the word? And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's, what's the word, household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together in, for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's a reason why my pulpit is this, uh, this morning a table, uh, and some of you may be wondering, what are all these accessories? Well, these are accessories from my family table. This table is not mine, but the rest of the things are. And yes, I do drink from a mug like this every day. I do not. It still smells like animal. <laughs> because when we, the, re, the reason this table is here is to remind us of this. Generally speaking... When we Westerners, post-Enlightenment Westerners, or for those of us who are not post-Enlightenment Westerners, for those of us who are attending a church service in a generally post-Enlightenment Western culture, one of the temptations can be, especially when we sit in a room like this, is that when we envision church, we think about a big building with a cross on the top and all the seats facing forward. We even say things like this, I'm going to church. Now, that's interesting because the way that church is used generally in the scriptures is that of a family. And so it would be just kind of weird to say things like, I'm going to family. I'm going to family would be about, make as much sense as I'm going to church because church is not primarily a building, it's a family. And so when we think about church, my encouragement to you is this. When you think about church, the primary piece of furniture is not a giant building with a bunch of seats facing forward. The primary furniture when you think about church is a family table. In fact, one of the centerpieces of Christianity in all Christian tradition is the partaking of Lord's table or communion or Eucharist. It's a meal. And where does one generally consume a meal? At the family table. Or in your car <laughs> if you're eating a delicious QT burrito on the way to work. But you would prefer, I think, to eat it at a family table. 
The church is family. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This language of both is uh, the, the Jews at the time viewed the world in, t- in, in, in this way, that there were Jews and then there were the other. There were Jews and then there were Gentiles. There was the insider and the outsider. And the whole world was split up into those two categories. But here now, the scripture reads and the scripture teaches that there is no longer a division of humanity into the inside and the outside, the in and the out the accepted and the rejected, that that division is done with. Rather, all are welcomed in, and you see there, in one spirit to the Father. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, how did he start? Our Father. That is a reminder that we are one family under one dad. You with me so far? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, one of the things it's a reminder of is that there, are no, there is no outsider people there is no category of person that is outside. There is the, all who are underneath that banner. God excludes no category of person from his family. In fact, he calls all. Uh, oh, what was that thing? They put it on cardboard at the football games. It's um, John 3, 6. That's right, John three sixteen. And some, some, of you, some of you may know this. It goes like this. For God so loved the Select group of people. For God so loved the what? World that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There is no culture or category of person that exists outside of the love of God. All who call on the name of the Lord are saved. Uh, which, by the way, I love making this point even though generally some people don't love it. And I, I, I want to make this point. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Here we go. I hear people say that the nation we live in, by the way, I'm an American, okay, love my country. I hear people say we live in a Christian nation. And, and I think I know what they mean, but I want to be careful by that because I don't think you, you actually mean that. Because there is no nation or people group or culture that is more loved by God than another. There is no ethnicity that is loved more by God than another. One of the things that we need to be careful about is thinking, well, God loves Americans, but he hates fill in the blank. You all with me there? And generally, by the way, I would imagine the people that you and I are tempted to put in the fill in the blank are people that you just happen and I just happen to not like at the time. We love it when God hates our enemies, don't we? Because it justifies our sin against them. Ooh. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a nice sermon. Well, we'll get nicer. Here we go. Verse 22, check this out. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Uh, Look at verse 21. This is crazy. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple. Okay, so people say stuff like this. I'm going to go to, they'll talk about a building like this, and they'll say, it is the house of God. I'm going to go to the house of the Lord today. I'm going to go to God's house today. And I want to just completely just, just, God does not dwell in buildings. He dwells in his people. The building, the temple that Ephesians 2 is talking about is us interwoven together. The majority of the church in the first 300 years of the church's existence met in catacombs, not beautiful buildings like this. God does not inhabit the building. He inhabits his people. 
He is building us together. We are the church. For those of you that follow after Jesus, and I know not all of us do, but for those who follow after Jesus, when you think of the church, that's us. Where will I go to experience God is an intriguing question. The better question is, who do I need to be with to see God alive and at work? For God inhabits his people. He's building us together as a spiritual house. We are the church. You see it here in the text. One of the things that we need to remember is, especially as isolated individualists, that God never calls us to isolation. There is this temptation in an individualistic, consumeristic culture to believe that it's just me and Jesus. But God, when he draws people to himself, always draws them into community. God always draws. When he saves someone, he saves them into community. I'll put it another way. You cannot obey Jesus alone. Now, I want to be careful. I want to pop the brakes here. You can actually, in a vacuum, be obedient to Jesus. But here's what I mean. If you read through the teachings of Scripture, just, just write them down. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be long-suffering with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. What do all of those commands require? Another. You will not, I take this from Ephesians 2, you will not experience God in the fullness with which he intends in isolation. By the way, me and God and that's all I need is how every cult leader feels. We need each other. We're being built together. And so how do you experience God? Do you experience in the context of community? In verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. It's for all people. Verse 18, for through him, we all, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Who has access to the Father? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, which includes the people who are radically different than you. And so all, as a church family, we are founded on Christ. He is, uh, okay, one of the ways to look at the church is to see the church as a royal family where dad is the king who is calling all to be a part of his family through adoption. We just sang a song. We are the sons. We are the daughters of God. And the message of the gospel is that everyone is invited in. Come and be a part of God's family, we say. For we are all adopted children in God's family. We are founded on Christ. He's the one who weaves us together. And so one of the things that that means, oh boy, here we go. One of the things that that means is that there is a diversity in every local church family because the thing that binds us together is not our common affinities, it's that, that God adopted us as his sons and daughters. That's what binds us together. I, look around the room. I don't like half of you. It's what you're all saying to yourself. Do you see? I, uh, I got you. No, but seriously, I don't like half of you. Uh, 
I mean, we have nothing in common. There's no reason for us to get, why are we here together? I mean, I get paid to be here, so that explains it, but why, I mean, why are we here? What is the, what is the force that is binding us together? Such a disparate group of people. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. We are a church family founded on Christ. Not by externally imposed. Okay, so um, think about our church family. I wrote some things down. We are a church family of bankers and bakers, of mechanics and marketers, of litigators and landscapers, of homemakers and homeless, of Democrats and Republicans, and yes, libertarians, I'm not forgetting about you of clergy and convicts, of minorities and majority for now, of outcasts and in-crowd, of people who shop in Kirlin and people who shop in Palomino, old and young, Walmart and Saks Fifth Avenue, sick and healthy for now, employed and unemployed, refugee, immigrant, and those whose predecessors immigrated here before us. I don't know what else to say about that. Single, married, divorced, widows, kids, no kids. What on earth is binding us together? It's Jesus. We are a church family woven together and founded on Christ. We have to be. Because no other force in the universe can bring together this type of peace. Remember, we saw it in the text that it is Jesus Christ who is our peace. Because the natural temptation of the human heart is division and disunity. And so let's get real, church family. You ready? Nobody's ready for this. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm not either. There is godly division, and there is ungodly division. So for those of us that aren't Christians, I'm going to yell at the Christians. You picked a great day to be here. I'm going to be yelling at some Christians for the next 10 minutes or so. There is godly division. Church planting, when some of us leave to go and plant a new church, a new work, excellent. Missions, some of us feel called to go and serve those around the world. It's an excellent reason in obedience to the Father, to go and to leave. Perhaps there's some of us who have a heart for a certain people group or a certain region, even in the city, that, that Desert Springs may not be called to, but maybe another local church is called to, and so you feel called to be a part of that local church. That's an excellent reason to have division. There are some of us who have a calling to another place. Rick Eford, who served here for 30 years and is still a pastor on our team, this summer is currently preaching every Sunday at Bethany Bible Church. Because at the end of the day, frankly, okay, so some people say, oh, is Rick preaching at another church? Nope. Because we are all what? One church. We're just meeting in different places. So Rick didn't go to another church. They're just one church. It's Jesus' church. We're just meeting in a different spot. And there is godly division, and then there is ungodly division and disunity. When we divide because I want my way, when I elevate my rights over the rights of others, when I try to put myself in a position of privilege, when I slander, when I am disgruntled, when I gossip. And so let me give us five things to consider, church family, as we talk about our family business. There are many of us who are, including myself, who find it uh, tempting and often sometimes sinfully rewarding to slander the church. Could be this church, could be another church to talk poorly, to undermine, to criticize, unrighteously criticize, to gossip about the church. 
And I just, if you're there, I, I want you to know I've been there. My temptation is still to be there. One of the sinful things that goes on in my heart is when I hear that another pastor who's got a bigger church than I do fails, it makes me feel smug and self-satisfied because I didn't. And that's a sin in my heart. And there are some of us who like to see other churches fail. There are some of us who like to criticize. There are some of us who, who like to see uh, new ministries or new ideas fail. We feel smug about it and self-satisfied. And we criticize unrighteously. But let me ask you this. If you loved your spouse and you gave your life for your spouse, how would you feel if somebody unrighteously criticized your spouse? How do you think that the Lord feels when his bride is unrighteously criticized and gossiped about? Is it right to slander the bride of Christ? I'm not talking about righteous criticism. You guys hear me on this one? Did you guys just hear me? I'm not talking about righteous criticism and concern. I'm talking about gossip, slander, destructive language. Is it right to criticize the bride of Christ unrighteously? No. For it is our own family. Number two, watch who's discipling you. Discipling who's influencing you, who's teaching you. I had uh, uh, one leader say this to me. He said, pastors, I was in a room full of other pastors, and he said, your people, you are discipling your people for one hour a week at best. And the consumer-based, fear-mongering, market-desiring media is discipling them the, under, the other 167 hours of the week. Who do you think is more likely shaping their thoughts? Jesus or the news? Now, notice, I didn't say which news station. So you can't be mad at me. Because, of course, the news station that I uh, engage with is certainly not biased, is completely fair and balanced. There's money to be made in fear-mongering and division. Jesus does not call us to fear-mongering and division. He calls us to unity and peace. He says, blessed are the peace. Friends, as a church family, we must be discipled primarily by Jesus and then work ourselves out from there. Let's keep going. Unity is not the same as uniformity. It is okay to be part of a church family where people are different than you and who disagree with you. And all God's people said... Unity is not the same as uniformity. It is completely okay to be a part of a church family and when people are different than you and disagree with you. In fact, I would argue it's better for your soul. Because if this just becomes an echo chamber where we all propagate our own prejudices, where will righteousness grow? If you, within your own church family, are confronted, if your prejudices are confronted within a church family, what an opportunity for grace and growth. It is okay. In fact, I would argue it is better to be a part of a church family that seeks not uniformity, but unity. But Caleb, you say, it's really hard to love those people. I know. And so let me give you something to consider. There are people within your church family who you don't like. I get it. 
and who do things that are unlovable, totally understand. And if you don't know anybody like that, you might be the person somebody else in here is thinking about. (laughs) If Christ is risen, which he is, then see in them, strive to see in them what Christ is making them into, not what they are today. As you seek to love them, look for what Christ is shaping them into, not for how they are today. And what a unified, peaceful place this would be if we all loved one another in that way. It is good and okay to disagree, but let me give you something to consider when you disagree. Start first with this. This person with whom I disagree is first my family, who just so happens at this point to be wrong about this. (laughs) This person is not my enemy. This person is my brother or my sister first. And so my heart's desire is not to be right, it's not to destroy them, it's not to prove them wrong. My first desire is to see them flourish. And so as we engage in conversation, and perhaps even heated dialogue, my goal is not their destruction, but their flourishing. You with me there? When we disagree, we start first with, this is family. And the blood of Christ binds us together. Therefore, this thing that we're arguing about, it will not rip us apart. When the scriptures scriptures are consistent in saying things like this, fight for unity. Long for, strive for unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because disintegration and division is so easy. And finally, treat others the way that you wish to be treated. Do you love it when people talk to other people about how they don't like you before they talk to you about it? Let me try that another way. Do you love it when people gossip about you? Anybody? Anyone? Nobody? Nobody's on the I love it when people gossip about me list? Great. Then love others the way that you want to be loved. If you've got a problem with somebody, you go to them. In just a moment, we're gonna take communion. And as we take communion, and as we sit and we wait, I would ask that you would reflect upon your own heart. That you would consider if there's any division or disunity that you need to reconcile. There are some occasions where it is not possible for us to reconcile or it may be harmful for us to take the first step. I know that there are those circumstances. But many times within a local church family, by the power of the Spirit, we are able to reconcile. And so I would ask that you would reflect on that. Is there any division that I've caused? Is there any disunity that I've caused? Is there any areas of my heart which remain unrighteously critical about this church or God's church in general?